Yeah, something crossed my mind just now. You know, a little while back, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about some of those formative rites of passage as a as a boy, as a young man, things like sneaking out at sleepovers and just, you know, building that kind of trust without even knowing it among your peers. And I'm someone who didn't have an older brother. Uh, but my sister was extremely popular when she was in high school and she was seven years older and I absorbed a lot through her, through her interests. You know, she was my introduction to heavy metal. She went through a, a relatively short heavy metal phase, but it had an impact on me. You know, I, I absorbed a lot culturally from Generation X through her. Uh, and that was cool, you know, but it's still, it was, she was an older sister and there was a, a distinction between us. But what was so cool about the fact that she was, you know, had a lot of friends, you know, what was so cool about her having a lot of friends is that she always had a large group group of people hanging out at my house and involved a lot of guys who were kind of, it was a good cross section. You know, you had guys who played sports, but a lot of them tended to be kind of alternative for the era. You know, there's that catch-all Gen X term alternative. What kind of music you listen to? All alternative. Alternative to what? And it was just a catch-all that you heard, and it really, it wasn't, it was the mainstream in, in a certain way. It was just this weird cross-section of, of interests, and I was introduced to a lot of music and ideas that way. Not necessarily things that stayed with me, but things that had an impact at the time. And I look back on some of those guys, some of the guys who were hanging out at our, out, out at a, eh, some of the guys who were hanging out at our house, and what's so interesting and I'm so grateful for as someone who didn't have an older brother is that a number of these guys over the years, and it wasn't always the same group of people, it wasn't always the same guys, but there were certain guys in particular who took an interest in my uh, development as a young man, you know what I mean? And not in some like prim and proper way, but they just wanted me to learn about things. For example, there were a couple guys who babysat me once, and they weren't even guys that I... that. They weren't like part of the, they weren't really recurring characters in my life, but just for whatever reason, one night they babysat me and they brought over movies. And I remember them saying like, you got to watch these, Eric, you know, you're, you have to see these. These are movies that you have to see. And they brought over Mad Max beyond, no, not beyond Thunderdome. They brought over Road Warrior and a TV taped version of young guns that was like fucking hilarious because everything was censored and it's not like it's some profane movie. Uh, but a couple, <laughs> a couple of the censored uh, parts to this day, I think about them. One of them is, uh, Billy, the kid, Emilio, Emilio Estevez, Emilio, uh, Emilia Estevez says, uh, you know, you could tell the governor he can kiss my eye, kiss my eye. I mean, that's worse than kissing someone's ass. Like if some, I, you know, I don't know. That's weird. The idea of someone kissing your eye. And another, I guess that movie must, it says kiss my ass twice in it. How many movies say kiss my ass twice in completely unrelated scenes? But in another scene in that movie, he tells somebody to kiss my hand, kiss my hand, kiss my eye and kiss my hand. But don't you ever kiss my ass. Young Guns. But he ended up leaving that TV taped version of Young Guns at the house and it was there forever. So I had that copy. I might still have it somewhere. It's this uh, black blank VHS. Not even one of those VHSs that has, you know, the generic label of like whatever band, uh, 
brand made, uh, whatever band, whatever brand made, you know, generic VHSs, blank VHSs, it didn't even have that on it. It was just a completely black VHS with a strip of masking tape along the side that said Young Guns. And it had commercials and everything on it. I should really see if I still have that. I don't. Th- I think I have a bin of VHSs somewhere. But they were. The point is, is that these guys were babysitting me, and they were seven years older, and they were like, "These are movies you have to see." And I saw a lot of movies, you know, that were from slightly before my time. But you know, you didn't always know exactly what to watch. And these guys were like, "You need to watch these." And I had another similar experience around that time where a different guy babysat me. And it's rare too. You don't think about male babysitters, but. Uh, this group, these groups of friends, you know, of my sisters were at the house all the time. You know, they were, I think they smoked a little bit of pot. They partied a little bit. You know, some of them were skateboarders. Some of them played in bands. Some of them played football. Some of them did all of the above. It was an interesting cross section of people, suburban early nineties life. I mean, this is probably like 1992, 93, 94. And, uh, another time, another guy babysat me. He was this guy who used to cut my hair. He had his own set of clippers, and he was like, 50, I think he was a year older than, older than everybody else, which like made him seem ancient to me. It's like, oh, man, I'm hanging out with all these 15-year-olds, and this guy's 16. Uh, but he, uh, you know, he, he had a pair of clippers, so he, he started being my guy. He, he, started, he became my barber. He would cut my hair. And uh, one time he babysat me. Or, no, he, he wasn't even babysitting me. He was just at the house. Got to get these details right, you know. Uh, and he was like, "There's this. Mo- you got to watch this with us. We're going to watch this movie. And as a as a boy, as a guy, as a guy, you have to watch this movie. It'd be weird if he said, as a boy, as a boy, you got to watch this movie, son. No, he's like, as a guy, you got to watch this movie with us. And uh, I sat down. It was The Outsiders. And, uh, you know, just to show you how, how nice these kids were, even though they, they were troublemakers, you know, but not bad guys. And this guy, though, he, he even covered my ears or told me to cover my ears during the part early on in The Outsiders when uh, Dally is trying to pick up on Cherry. And uh, and so he says something like, he's like, uh, you know, is this, how do I know that your red hair is the same hair that you have on your, and he doesn't even say anything. He just like, he just gestures down to her, you know, to her, you know, and you know, he had me cover my ears during that part. And it just, just shows how nice he, what, what a good kid. He wants me to experience the outsiders. It's, it's an important part of my development. It's a rite of passage, but he doesn't want me to hear like the vague sexual innuendo, uh, that's made early in the movie. That's conscientiousness. And I think about that word constantly, conscientiousness. And is it something that's missing now? It sure feels like it. I feel like there's a lack of conscientiousness out there. And I think I struggle with it too. I don't feel like I'm always as conscientious as I should be. Uh, but, uh, you know, just the fact that they sat me down and they were like, you need to watch this movie. And it was The Outsiders, which ended up being, you know, the foundation of my youth. You know, through some miracle, I always had a group of friends. Some of them stayed the same over the years. There was also a rotating cast. And that's actually something I'm going to get into in this episode as well. A rotating cast. Uh, but uh, as a kid, you know, it was I hadn't seen The Outsiders. I saw a lot of movies from that era. I saw a lot of 80s movies. You know, I was born in 85. Uh, you know, you'd go to Blockbuster. You'd rent things that came out in that range. Uh, and But, you know, you didn't necessarily always know what to pick. And so having these guys who, you know, acted as de facto older brothers 
during a short period of my life uh, were great because it's like they showed me the outsiders and that became they saw themselves as the outsiders too. this particular group of guys they picked all the names like you know this guy was like your pony boy you're so and so you're this guy and what was funny is I remember being at a Denny's with those guys I think like my family went out with a group of my sister's friends and we went to Denny's and I remember those guys sitting around and they were talking, they were like, we're stallions. We're, you know, they're talking about the outsiders and they were like coming up with names for themselves and we're like, we're stallions, not a bunch of ponies. But then one of them brought their little brother who of course was like five years older than me and they were like, you can be pony boy, but we're a bunch of stallions, <laughs> you know? So just thinking about that, it's fun. It's fun to remember. And just the fact that these guys though, you know, they were like, you need to know these things. You need to experience these things. And I hope that's still going on in the world. You know, I know that people can just pull shit up on their phones. I don't expect someone to sit someone down and be like, we're going to watch a VHS version of The Outsiders. You know, I don't expect someone to go all retro. And I don't think that that's an actual way to deal with, you know, growing up in this world today. I don't think you need to, like, play in some retro fantasy world all the time. Uh, But I hope people are doing that in their own way. But I also feel like there's such information overload that I don't even know what you would choose. Like, if I were to show a kid a movie... I would have ideas. I would probably show them some of the same things that these guys showed me, but I wouldn't, you know, if I were, if I were like them, you know, if I were a 15 year old today dealing with a seven year old, I don't know what I would show them. I don't know what a 15 year old has even seen. I don't know what a 15 year old does. I don't know what kind, what their foundations are. I mean, I was in uh, the Bay area a few months ago visiting a good friend who has a son and he he was I I can't I don't know how old his son is but old enough to be in some kind of preschool and he he was telling me how the the preschool teacher or whatever it is maybe it's daycare I don't know it's like a daycare preschool type place but he told me how you know the, the preschool teacher attendant whatever they are came up to him one day when he was picking up his son and said you know oh you know uh he can't wear Marvel socks here anymore. Like his son, my friend's son where had Marvel superhero socks, pretty fucking normal, pretty, I mean, more normal than normal. I mean, that's so fucking normal. I can't even believe it. You know, I, I don't even, it doesn't need any kind of justification. I mean, Marvel movies are fucking everywhere. All those movies that I wanted to come out when I was seven have come out over the last 10 years, and I don't, I don't care about them. Uh, but when I was a little kid reading comics and, you know, watching cartoons, like, you know, I would have loved for all these Marvel movies to come out, but now they're out. And it's great because, you know, kids are still into it. You know, even though I think it's kind of weird how many movies are coming out like that and how many adults are obsessed with it, uh, you know, it's perfect for, you know, if you have a little boy, like, of course, he's going to wear Marvel superhero socks and to be told he can't wear them. And I don't know why. Like, I still don't understand why. I asked my friend, I was like, why? And he gave me some kind of explanation, but it didn't make sense. So it didn't stay with me. Sometimes something makes such little sense that you can't remember it. And that's how I felt is he was not allowed to wear Marvel socks. And I think it was something to do with like this whole like gender nightmare 
this whole fucking nightmare that people are perpetuating. And in doing that too, they negate these fundamental experiences of people introducing you to, to like cool guy things. And it doesn't mean like you have to be that. Like these guys, these older guys, they were teenagers and some of them came from fucked up homes. That's what I remember too. There were a couple guys who I remember I knew I knew even as a kid they came from fucked up homes, so like them coming to our house was kind of like a paradise. And there were girls, you know, like my sister had friends of all types. She was extremely popular and so she had uh, you know, girlfriends, like guy friends, you know, and they would all come over and the girls didn't really interact with me. They were probably just like, oh, who's this kid running around with like a toy gun, you know? Uh, but the guys, you know, they actually really, they, they didn't treat me like a little kid either. And I deeply, deeply appreciate that. They did not talk to me like a little kid, but they didn't just treat me like one of them either. And they didn't like be like, I'm going to take you under my wing. They just naturally knew how to impart the right information to, to me. Occasionally they'd tell me something that was like kind of like, like, don't tell your mom that we said this. But, and it was never anything horrible. It wasn't like they were trying to corrupt me. They were just giving me like a real fucking take on what it is to grow up as a guy, at least where, where we were. And I understand not all guys are the same. I understand some guys are into this. Some guys aren't into guy things. But these guys weren't even like that. They weren't agro, macho, or anything like that. And even the jocks kind of had their own thing going on. Even the guys who played football and did this and that. And those guys, you know, did the same thing. Those guys would impart their own information to me. It was just cool. That's the only way to put it. That was the word then, and that's the word now. It was cool. And, you know, hearing that, you know, a little boy is not even supposed to wear Marvel socks at at school. You know, I could get, like, you know, I got in trouble, not in trouble, but in fifth grade, all my friends and I, we would draw, like, G.I. Joe-type guys holding guns, and one time my teacher just had it, and she was like, guys, you need to stop drawing, and this is pre-Columbine, of course, and she was like, you guys need to stop drawing, like, violence and guns. I'm just, you know, I'm sick of it, and she was really straight up about it. You know, she didn't try to mask it or anything. She didn't try to, like, hide behind generality. She was like, you guys just, you need to stop drawing, like, the guns, and we were like, no, and we just kept doing it. You know, we didn't get in trouble because it's what we did. Uh, we drew that stuff. And I think it's good that we were able to express that stuff, honestly. Uh, but to hear that this kid in the Bay Area, which, you know, we all have our ideas about what the Bay Area is like. You know, if you've been there, you know. Uh, but the idea that you can't even wear Marvel superheroes. I mean, they, Marvel superheroes don't even walk around with guns. They're in fucking you know, colorful outfits, like spandex outfits, you know, it's, it's insane. The idea that you can't wear that. And I still don't understand it. I still do not understand why his teacher said that they couldn't do that. I feel like there was some bullshit justification that involved like, oh, we found that it gets the boys too riled up. Well, maybe they should get riled up. Maybe they should fantasize about being superheroes. You know, there's a movie that just came out that's like about like the Joker's backstory. Who needs to know that? I mean, you know, 10 years ago, people were walking around with like Heath Ledger Joker on their face and trying to pretend they were him. And surprise, surprise, a, a guy shoots up a movie theater pretending he's the Joker. I mean, that really happened. What happens when we put villains on this pedestal? And, you know, it's good to know where people come from. It's good to understand that, you know, serial killers aren't monsters. They're humans who took a very dark and twisted turn. And some of that might have come from, you know, something they had deep inside from birth. And some of it might have come from circumstance. Some of it might have just come from 
I don't know, some malignant place. It's important to understand that, say, a serial killer is a human being just like you, just like Hitler, just like anybody, and you can't call them a monster because calling them a monster makes you more likely to do what they did. You need to know where they came from and what they are. That's important. My in, my interest in true crime, which has greatly dissipated in recent years, uh, very much came from a place of, I want to know why these guys are like this. I want to know why. But now we're making movies about, like, the Joker's a failed comedian, and I don't know. I haven't seen it. I can't comment on it. But I just, I do question, like, should we, we be selling t-shirts with, like, the Joker on them? Should we be embracing the villain? And then we wonder why people are fucked up. I don't know. Maybe maybe that is just a reflection of something else. Maybe, it, I don't know. But telling kids they can't wear superheroes on their socks, you know, here here's a rant, you know. But I honestly could not believe it. And some of these people would probably challenge the idea of boys like showing a, a young man, like of teenage boys, like taking a kid under their wing and being like, here's some guy movies you want to see. Not necessarily. I, I remember one of them showing me Commando, too, which is a great movie. It's a great. It's exactly what you want from an action movie. No frills. It's exactly what you want from an action movie. Uh, but. You know, a lot of people would probably object to the idea of taking like a, a young boy under your wing and just being like, here's some fundamental guy movies you need to see. If the kid finds out later that he's gay and he doesn't like guy things or whatever, you know, he wants to watch America's Top Model. OK, let him do it. Let him do it. I don't believe in enforcing this shit, but just this idea that you you don't even do that anymore and and what you're taking away from people. You know, you're taking so much away from people when you do that, and you're turning people into incels, you're turning people into monsters, and they're not monsters. You know, that's a thing, too. They're not monsters. They're people who don't even know what they're doing, and that's no justification for it. But if you're going to make a movie about how the Joker was just a failed comedian and had a hard life, you know, maybe you should take a look at the people who are doing shitty things and, you know, look at what might be causing that and look at it in an objective way that doesn't blame them. Start doing that to humans, not fictional villains. I don't know. Didn't expect to get angry talking about rites of passage. Uh, but back looking at those guys, those, that group of guys, you know, uh, they weren't, you know, none of them were my sister's boyfriends, anything like that. Because when she did have boyfriends, you know, they would kind of take me under their wing, too. Like, there was one in particular who was a very aggro jock type guy, and I learned a lot from him. And he's the only older brother type who would actually, you know, you know, bully me a little bit. And I hate to use the word bullying, but because I don't think it was bullying. He he was the only one who really tried to toughen me up directly. You know, we would play football, we'd play sports, and he would get a little too rough. I used to go to the gym with him. Like, he was, he was going to the gym as a teenager, and I would go to the gym with him, and he would occasionally do something mean or shitty to me. But looking back, I'm glad he did it. I'm glad that I had an older brother type in my life who did aggro stuff. Not so that I could mimic it, but just so that I could know what that's like. Having that older brother effect is important, both the good and the quote-unquote bad. Uh, but uh, thinking about that, there was this rotating cast of characters, though. And I always, through some miracle, I always had a group of friends growing up. Uh, some of them stayed the same. Some of them kind of came and went. But it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately, the idea of people kind of rotating in and out of your life. Because some people, you know, friends come and go, relationships come and go, 
And some people's response to that is, I've got to hold on for dear life. We're going to be, we're going to be with each other forever. This lunch table that we all sit at every day of high school, we're going to be sitting at this table forever. You know, there's some people who are like that. And it's good to like hold on to relationships. If you can hold on to relationships and have them not be toxic, have them not be terrible, that's really healthy. And some people, the right thing is to stay in their hometown forever and go out to happy hour with the same people they ate their high school lunch with. And that's fine. You know, and I think that's good in a lot of ways. There's something to be said for that sort of consistency. Uh, But when life changes things for you, as it will, I think you have to accept that. And that might be that you've changed. It might be other people have changed. It might be that Uh, you know, just circumstances have changed, or more likely all of the above. It turns out not only is everything around you changing, but you as an individual are changing, and the tiniest components in your body are constantly changing. So what are you going to do? Are you going to hold on? Are you going to grab hold of it and be like, I'm never letting go? No. You know, you're going to accept that there's a certain amount of change, and there's some things that you have to, like, that you want to try to maintain. Like, if you find a relationship that you really like, and you really, this person really compliments you, you know, you want to work on it. I'm not saying don't work on something. I'm not saying give up the second that something has an up and down, you know. Oh, the second it takes a down note, you you better walk away. You better off walking away than working on something and learning from that. Because sometimes, you know, as things change, you find that, hey, you know, this is actually something that I can uh, work on and this component of my life or this person will stay a part of things. Uh, It might be slightly different. Uh, And, you know, I think that's the big thing going into, you know, relationships that, you know, not that I'm an expert, certainly not an expert at maintaining relationships, but it is something. It is something I've observed. And for some people, that's what they want. That's their destiny. You know, they're scrolling through Tinder like, this is my destiny. Her name is Destiny. Uh, No, but there's some people who think that way, where it's like, that is their destiny. They want to settle down and have a family and do that, and that's good. You know, I'm very opposed to this anti-kid thing that's going on, and uh, I'm very opposed to this, you know, anti-tradition, you know, sort of attitude. Not to say that tradition is everything, not to say that having a kid is everything, Uh, Not to say that should be your priority if it doesn't feel right or natural, because we have plenty of situations where it doesn't seem right and people do it anyway. And who knows if that's better or worse for the world? Who can even say? You know, who even thinks in those terms? Everybody. (laughs) Who who thinks in terms of what's better or worse from the world? Everybody. Uh, But except being able to accept change, and part of that is accepting that people are going to come and go. And I think you know, this is a great time to bring up the old RPG, you know, example where in playing role-playing games, the old Japanese role-playing games that nowadays everybody calls JRPGs. When I was growing up, they were just RPGs. All of them were from Japan anyway. Almost all of them were were from Japan and you knew that and you just called them RPGs. But now in this new world of video games, it's, you know, you got to play JRPGs. Oh, you play, what kind of RPGs you play? I don't really play any. I just think about them all day. <laughs> I don't play any video games anymore. I just I just think about them all fucking day and use them as a metaphor for my life. Uh, let's talk about that for a little while. Let's talk about that every opportunity I get. Um, but, you know, one thing that's interesting about RPGs is characters do come and go. You know, there are characters who join your party only temporarily, 
and they might be the coolest character in the game, and you want them to stay in your party till the end, but they just go as part of the storyline or as part of some function. And you know, as a kid, I remember playing uh, Final Fantasy three, which is really Final Fantasy VI, but I grew up playing Final Fantasy III, as it was called in the U.S., uh, so that's how I think of it. And uh, in that game, like, there's the character Shadow, who he's a mercenary who joins you temporarily in the beginning, and then he randomly leaves you fairly early in the game. And he does come back, and there's a way to get him to be with you forever uh, if you make the right decisions and, and all that. But like as a kid, it was just like, you know, I was so upset that he's leaving my party. I'm like, I want that guy to be, in, he's fucking cool. He has a dog and he's like really fucking cool. He's a ninja and he barely says anything. I want that guy to be in my party all the time. Uh, and uh, sometimes it's even a character who never joins your party. Like some games have a character who never actually joins your party. Uh, they're an NPC as people People use that as this metaphor nowadays, like, oh, that person's an NPC. It's a way of dehumanizing people whenever I hear that. Oh, that person's a, that person at the grocery store, they, they're all NPCs. Don't think that way. Don't think that way about people. Don't assume people are, are less interesting uh, than they are just because, I don't know. I don't know. I don't need to go into that. Uh, but, you know, sometimes it's a character in a game that you think looks really cool. It might even be the bad guy. Sometimes you think the bad guy is the coolest character in the game and you want nothing more for them than for them to join the party. And that's like Final Fantasy VII. That was the big thing. Like, how do I get Sephiroth to join my party? You know, and it's like, supposedly there was a cheat code. There's a mythical cheat code with your game shark, your game genie. Uh, and if you do that, he'll join your party. It turns out there wasn't even a code for it. Even the code was a, a myth. It was part of that. It was a video game urban legend in the pre-internet age. Can't get Sephiroth. What are you going to do? My life sucks. Hey, uh, you see that guy? You see that bum on the corner uh, who's just ranting and raving to himself? You know why? You know how he ended up there? Because he found out he couldn't get Sephiroth in his party in 1997. It ruined everything. No, but at the time, you know, I remember like wanting, oh, it would be so cool to play as Sephiroth. He's so cool. In Final Fantasy 3, a.k.a. 6, there's also General Leo. You get to control him for like a split second, and he has amazing, you know, special moves and stuff like that. And then he dies, and you're like, oh, there's, there's, I heard there's a secret, a, a secret code where you can revive General Leo. Where you can revive General Leo. Liar. Where you can revive General Liar. And... Turns out there isn't, or if there is, it's like it fucks up your game because there were always those cheat codes, and that's something I want to say about RPGs too. Is they didn't have codes in the same way that other games did. You know, they didn't have you didn't do like up up down down left right A B. You know, to get some secret character or code. Most of the tricks and everything like that that were in the game were something that you could just find in the game. It was like a secret room that had a secret treasure that wasn't part of the story, but if you if you were fucking around enough or if you read the right gameplay guide, you could find it. Uh, but they weren't like codes that broke the game or made it easier. I mean, maybe the weapon would be like an extremely powerful weapon or it's some armor or item, or maybe it's just something cool. Something awesome about RPGs, even some of the early ones, was that... 
sometimes there were secret scenes. They weren't necessary for the story, but if you went into a certain room with the right character, it would trigger some memory scene and you would learn more about that character. I mean, speaking of Shadow in Final Fantasy III, you know, there was a whole thing where if you randomly slept in inns with him in your party, you would see this dream sequence where you find out about his past. And if you successfully see all of them, which was actually difficult to do, it would make his story at the end of the game complete and you would see a different ending for him or something like that. Something like that. Uh, I think that was exactly it, in fact. Um, but uh, so the tricks in RPGs and the sort of cheats weren't really cheats. They were designed to enhance the story or they were a secret weapon or item that was within the game that was just really cool and maybe made you a little bit more powerful. But they didn't have those other sort of cheat codes, you know. And sure, you could use a game genie and like make it so you're, oh, you're level 99 from the second the game starts. And it's not fun. It's not. I remember doing, I did that. You know, I had a game genie and I remember doing a code so that like in some RPG, all my characters were maxed out from the start and it was the least fun I've ever had in my entire life. (laughs) Uh, So that was what was really cool though about RPGs is that there were these tricks and stuff. And I do think that that's a great example for life. You know, it's, it's similar to life where I've, there aren't life hacks as people say there aren't, you know, yeah, it's like, oh, here's an easier way to do something. You know, that's all that is. There's Sure, there are always easier ways to do something. There are always more efficient ways to do something. Uh, but, you know, life doesn't really have cheat codes or anything like that. But you do have cool things you can find if you look in the right places. Uh, and uh, or, or certain stories you can experience. If you go to the right place at the right time, the right person is there to trigger some event. You know, that's, that's how life works. And it may not be necessary. It may not be necessary for your life. You might not need it. If you're walking down the street and you're going to go get coffee, you know, and you look up in the right place, you, you might see a bird fly by that you don't usually see. You see a, you know, an eagle, and that's really cool. And it, it doesn't change the fact that you're still going to get coffee, but it enhances that walk. But you have to look there. You have to be in the right place at the right time and be observant. And it, it still, it doesn't change the fact that you're going. And no matter what, you're going to walk down that street and get that cup of coffee. But it's actually going to make that cup of coffee better if you see that eagle along the way. So in that way, why wouldn't you want that? I don't know. Uh, unless you're doing a, uh, a speed run. Oh, I can't go into the secret room that triggers the memory event because uh, I'm doing a speed run, which I don't understand. I understand, you know, we all have time constraints, but what's weird about speed runs is, uh, first of all, that's still a fairly new idea to me, although I'm sure it goes back to the beginning of arcade machines and all that. But the idea of doing a speed run, it's like, I'm just going to rush through this. I don't want to enjoy this at all because I want to, I want the trophy and I'm not taking that away from people. Competition is cool, whatever. Uh, even if it's just beating your own record, that's cool. Uh, but it's funny to me, like the idea of like, I'm not going to experience this at all because I want to get through it. And that's how some people think. They're like, I, you know, I'm going to beat my last record for walking down the street to get coffee. I don't have time to look at the Eagle because I need to get this coffee in under a minute. And yeah, we all have very real time constraints, but I feel like if you're, if you're walking down the street to get coffee or you're doing a speed run in a video game, you probably do have a little extra time enough to look up because that's actually not going to change the amount of time it takes to do what you're doing. Um, 
But another thing that's new, you know, relatively new, is this idea of games that never end. Because here's another thing is, even though I very, very rarely play video games anymore, and when I do, it's usually just some nostalgia trip, like seeing an old game through new eyes. Uh, but uh, even though I very rarely do that, I do spend time, like maybe once every couple months, I'll hop onto one of those sites like Steam, and I'll just look through the RPGs. I just want to see what's there. And there's so much shit. Like, I just look at the pictures. And so that's become kind of a game unto itself. I don't play video games. Uh, I just look at pictures of video games on my computer. And that's a game to me because I'm seeking something out. I am experiencing something in a weird way. I'm like, I'm observing the story of people making games and seeing what's out there and what's available. And I'm... You know, and when I see one that looks really cool, I think, oh, maybe I should play that. But I also feel like I can just look at the pictures and enjoy the fact that it exists. Um, so, like, my favorite video game is the one in real life where you just sit on your computer looking at pictures of video games. It's really detached and weird and removed. It's called The Observer. It's called the it's called the video game observer, and you're not watching other people play video games. You're just looking at stills. I don't even watch the videos. I don't even I don't even watch the little like preview videos, the little trailers for games. I just look at stills. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Um, uh, but you know now there's so many games that don't end, and that's something that that's a result of the internet and things being online or even with console systems. I know I know I've never had a console system. I mean, the last console I bought was a PlayStation two and I only had like three or four games for it. Uh, I bought it for the game, sweet code and three. Um, but, uh, I, you know, haven't, I, I've only briefly played, I even, I've only played an Xbox or whatever, like a newer version. I have only played that once, you know, like, and I'm not trying to do the old man thing here. I'm just saying it's like, that's where my cutoff is in terms, that's where my points of reference pretty much end, except for the stills. I'll tell you all about the stills I've looked at. No, I forget most of it. I forget most of the stills I look at. Uh, it's just like a, it's like a temporary high, <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, but yeah, these games that never end, and that kind of started in part with these, you know, massive multiplayer games, which I never understood. You know, I never understood like the massive multiplayer thing. Like, I don't like having people in my house. I don't want people in my game. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was fun playing multiplayer games growing up. Goldeneye, you know, when you would have a sleepover, it was always fun to play Goldeneye all night, games like that. Multiplayer is fun, but this like massive multiplayer thing, it's like having a bunch of strangers in your house and they don't play the game the same way you do or they either take it too seriously or not serious enough. And, you know, it was a, it was a big enough struggle for me growing up just playing action figures with people because there were only ever one or two friends who I feel like understood the ne the necessity of a good story and were capable of doing that and you know and, and I'm grateful for that I'm grateful to have had those friends uh, again just like I'm grateful through some miracle to have actually had a group of friends my entire growing up I'm also grateful to have had one or two friends within that, those groups of friends who could play action figures or play video games with just the right amount of seriousness and but not too much, not so much that people are angry or controlling. It was just, it was just like the, you know, it was, uh, it was a gentle amount of control. <laughs> no pun intended, control or control. Uh, 
but yeah, this new thing with like multiplayer games and then the fact that, you know, games have these downloadable components. So you have these games that never end. And I like an ending. I like those old games where you could get, where you could achieve multiple endings. You know, I was talking about Shadow in Final Fantasy III. You know, his ending changes. His story changes at the end if you see all of his dream sequences. Uh, and maybe the same is true for you. Maybe if you have the right dream sequences in your life, the afterlife is a little different. You never know. You never know. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, these games that never end, it did, that didn't used to be possible. Even if there were multiple endings to a game, even if you never beat a game, even if you played the first level over and over again because it was so hard, you still knew that there was some kind of conclusion to the game. So now there are these games that never end, and I think now about games that I do want to play. There are games like RPGs that I do want to play, but I just can't really justify sitting for that long unless I'm sick. I can't justify sitting there and just playing a game for that long. It has to be a really special set of circumstances for me to spend my time doing that. Not bashing anybody who chooses to do that. You know, they may see what they're doing as more productive than what I do, and that's great. Uh, but, you know, I, I would not want to play a game that never ends. I just don't want to do that. I wouldn't want to live a life that never ends. And that's an interesting parallel that, you know, video games used to be short. They had limited memory, limited programming capacity. You know, they were relatively short, even from the very beginning, but you could beat them. Or, I mean, that was, that's what I mean by short. They were short because you could beat them. It's just like people's lives in the Middle Ages. They were short, you know? Life was short. But it's interesting how as our, our lifespan, you know, our lifespans have increased, and so have video games, the lifespan of a video game. And we have this idea that, you know, through medicine and technology, we just want to keep on living. And people talk about this transhumanism, the idea of like living forever through data and technology. And like, I'm going to send my personality out to a satellite so that I can live forever as a, as a simulation of myself that maybe will gain consciousness. I don't see how that's desirable. Why do you want to live forever? Why would you want to do that? Even if it's not, even if it's like some, and we do that with celebrities. We do that with like Tupac. You know, there's a hologram Tupac singing on a stage. And he's, and he's more muscular than the real Tupac. So it's not even that we want people to live forever. We want them to be different than they even were. And that's weird. You know, that's really fucking weird. Like, it, I'm, and I'm not even joking, that Tupac thing. They made him more muscular than he was in real life. And Tupac was ripped. The real Tupac was in great shape. But they decided to make this even more muscular version of him that's a hologram singing on stage. And I'm just like, there's something wrong here. And, and he didn't consent to that. You know, Tupac didn't consent to having a, a holographic, hologram, whatever you want to call it, image of himself performing on stage, looking more buff than he even was. You know, maybe, I don't know. I, I just don't like that. And we think about ourselves that way. There's like almost this constant goal of like, you know, you know I want to live a long, healthy life. So this isn't some like nihilistic, you know, millennial, like, when can I die? When are you going to let me die? When are you boomers going to let me die? You know, this isn't that at all. I'm very, uh, I'm very into life and health. And, you know, I think about it a lot these days. And I enjoy thinking about life and health. It's fun. It's like a video game. Once you realize your own body is a fucking video game, too, you start maybe putting a little more time into it, putting a little more consideration. Your own everything. Your own everything. Um... 
Uh, but it's kind of like with medicine and technology where there's this idea, we got to make it longer, 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 longer. It, we got to make sure it never ends. And it's with video games too. We got to make sure they never end. And we got to get more people in. We got to get more people. We got to overpopulate this game with more real people. Oh, you know what this game needs? It needs a bunch more people running around. I don't feel that way at all. I've The only game I ever played multiplayer online was Age of Empires 2, and I hated it. I loved that game. I loved, you know, the custom built, you know, campaigns. I loved I loved everything about that game. That game was awesome. But I played it online and it took all the fun out of it. People were so good and it wasn't that they were good that pissed me off. It's that they it was just like playing action figures all over again where I was on the same I was an ally of this guy. And the second the game started, he started like building things at such a rapid rate that it was like this isn't fun. You're not like strategically placing your houses or your barracks and you're building like so many ships at such a fast rate that it's entirely unrealistic. Like you have all these ships but you, because you're going to attack everyone with your ship. I don't know. I don't even remember. But I remember that this guy was like so – he was rushing through it so much and, and so were the people we were fighting. And he got pissed off at me because I was like – I was actually playing the game. I was treating it like a story. I was treating it like a real civilization that I was building up and a real village that I was building and – this guy wasn't fun. I wouldn't have wanted him, wanted him to come back over to my house to play action figures. That's for fucking sure. Um, and so in that way, that was a really sour, it gave me a really sour feeling about multiplayer. And I know there are multiplayer games. Like I watched, I went on this phase about five years ago where I watched this guy who made YouTube videos of Second Life and he would just fuck with people. And uh, he was kind of like the friend who I, I wouldn't have wanted to come over and play action figures but the people he was fucking with were honestly so sad it was like people and I, I you know people can do what they want they can truly do what they want but they were like furry like their characters in the game were like furries with bondage gear on running a nightclub like it was a real nightclub and they would like kick people out for breaking the rules and this guy would run in and he would like jump up on the stage and like grab the stripper pole even the, and they would kick him out and they would get really mad with their real voices and it was amazing uh the guy's the character's name was esteban he was like this little dwarf character and he would run around and he would just fuck with people and it was like you know as much as you know i i respect these people for taking the game seriously and trying to act out a story there was just something about this second life world that disgusted me and i totally supported this guy Maybe it's hypocritical or contradictory, but I totally supported this guy for fucking around. Because, like, what I saw... And these people were using their real voices. Even though their character looked like a blue fox in a gimp suit. I'm not even joking. Uh, they had, like, this... It was, like, a 50-year-old guy with a Texas accent talking. And and he had, like, a like a wife who was, like, a, a pink, like... I don't even know. Like, a, like a, another pink fox in the bondage outfit. And she had some... You know, she sounded like a 60-year-old woman, you know, somewhere. And I was just like, I'm, I'm glad these people have this, but it, it's kind of weird. Um, anyway, to get away from my my clear hypocrisy, uh, it's okay to fuck with Second Life, but don't you dare fuck around with action figures, which is the original Second Life. Um, uh, the, the original Second Life. Um, first Life. Someone's made that joke a million times, I'm sure. First life. 
Uh, but yeah, just to get back to that idea of like people making video games longer and it's just, it never ends. It's like, who has the time for a game that never ends? You know, who has time for a game that never ends? <laughs> and that kind of goes hand in hand with trying to make games more realistic too. Cause as much as I love RPGs, JRPGs, as they've been retconned uh, here, I'm using all the, the gamer talk retcon, all the, all the fandom talk retconning as they've been, as, as, as the historical revisionism has shown, you know, uh, and people are now calling RPGs or JRPGs, there's a, a very distinct cutoff for me when I could no longer play them. And it's when they started to make the characters in RPGs look more and more like real people. Like Final Fantasy VIII, I hated the way those characters looked. Not only did they look like real people or closer to real people, but they looked like people I hated. You know, they looked, I hated their costumes. I hated their weird, like, nim, their, their weird, like, I don't know. I did, everything about them I didn't like. Uh, and also it's like the second two that they started allowing narr- like, like voice actors in video game, in RPGs that you couldn't turn off. Cause part of the immersion of an RPG for me was that you're reading all this text. You're basically reading a book that you're participating in. It's like a choose your own adventure novel with cool visuals, even, even with primitive graphics, especially with primitive graphics. It's like this choose your own adventure novel. And it's like, you want to read the voices in a certain way, or you just naturally, like it wasn't even that I wanted to read the characters voices in a certain way. My head just naturally did it for me. This character sounds like that. And maybe I didn't even think that far. You know, maybe I didn't even really think about them. I just, I was thinking more about just the story. But then they started doing voice acting and the characters started to look more realistic. And I think it's cool, like 3D games, like realistic games. There's something cool about, you know, very detailed graphics. Uh, But it just bothered me. I'm like, you know, I'm not playing this just to like experience another reality, especially with voices that I hate and characters who look like real people I hate. Uh, you know, so that ruined our, uh, hitting the mic, all this talk about hate and my thumb just smacks the mic, a thumb smack against the mic. I'm not using my thumbs to play video games anymore. I'm using them to smack the mic. That doesn't sound like a dirty joke. Smacking the mic. Uh, But yeah, it's just this thing where it's like, you know, if I wanted video games to be real life, I'd just participate in real life. You know, and I understand you can add different things. Oh, you can fly in an airship. Can you fly in an airship, a steampunk airship in real life? Maybe. You can fly in a plane. Why do you need to go, like, fly around in an airship in that game? You can fly in a plane. Sit in a crammed little seat. That's why. No, I'm not taking anything away from, you know, I don't know. I think it's cool that video games have progressed. I think it it was always exciting, especially in the older days when there would be a big jump in graphics. It's like, oh, all of a sudden this looks so good. And then you look at it like 15 years later and it's like, well, that 3D game is like a block of nasty looking pixels. But at the time, it seemed like a major innovation. Uh, But looking back at those early RPGs, they look good. You know, if you look at a game, I keep using the example of Final Fantasy III, a.k.a. six, and that that's a damn good-looking game. It's these little scrunched characters, but it's detailed. You know, it's kind of the it was kind of the perfect in-between period. I would say actually the perfect period is if you're familiar with the Suicoden series. Suicoden, somebody corrected me. Uh, I used to call it Suicoden, like when you call a pig Sui, like Sui, get over here, pig. Uh, I guess it's pronounced like Sui. Like, like as if you were saying, like, 
sweet without the T, so like Suicoden. I don't like that as much, but that to me, the second, Suicoden 2 is my favorite RPG. As much as I love early Final Fantasy, all that, Suicoden 2 to me is is the pinnacle of RPGs, and a lot of people would agree with me. This isn't some, you know, obscure opinion. There's a lot of people who agree with me about that. Uh, but the graphics are perfect. They're still sprite-based. They're still 2D, but there's so much detail, and there's so much to interact with. And that's an interesting game because you get all the characters. You basically get all the characters you could ever potentially want. You can recruit 108 characters and they stay with you forever because you're an army. But you don't necessarily, they're not all, not all your friends. Like in some cases, they're bad guys who after you beat them, you can recruit them instead of killing them. <laughs> Which is, uh, you know, how some friendships are formed in real life, you know, Uh it's like, I, I don't want to, you know, I've, I've definitely had some friends where when we meet, I'm like, oh, fuck this guy. And then it's like down the road, you're like, oh, that's actually one of my favorite people. Uh, join my army of 108. Uh, but so often in those games, though, it's like you, they're not all like sweet coding where you can recruit everybody. Some games, like someone's just in your party for a little while and then they leave. And no matter what cheat code you program into the game genie, it's like you can't get that character back. And life is like that in some ways, too where some people are just circumstantially with you and maybe they serve some sort of purpose. And, you know, I'm not saying you necessarily always get some grand take from your experience with them, but at the very least you get some kind of memory. There was someone you interacted with and it doesn't have to end on bad terms either. It just might naturally, you might naturally go your separate ways uh, or you might even become enemies through some, you know, usually there's some bullshit involved with that. That's somebody usually did some bullshit if you become enemies after being friends. But it's like that WWF pay-per-view way back in the day. Good friends, better enemies. <laughs> I love that. You know, we're good friends, but I think we make better enemies. I do feel that way about some people. Uh, I, but I try not to have enemies. But yeah, there are some games where, you know, people rotate in and out of your life. You know, you might have, you know, a girlfriend, whatever, someone in your, a wife, someone in your life that you think is going to be there. You think this is it. And it just, it, it goes, it goes. And some people just hold on to that forever. I mean, there are some people who just can't stop thinking about it, can't stop talking about it, can't stop trying to win them back. Trying to win them back. If I do this, if I type in this cheat code, I'll get my ex-girlfriend back. If I type in this cheat code, I'll get my ex-girlfriend to join my party again. How's that adventure going to go? The story's not built around that. Because here's the funny thing. When there are those cheat codes in games where you get a character back into your party who is supposed to leave, it fucks up the game. It fucks up the story because that character isn't supposed to be there for the ensuing sequences after they left. So when you insert them back into the party, you know, it's like when Eris died in Final Fantasy VII, you know, it's like there were people who were like, you can get Eris back if you do this. And it's like, that ruins the entire game. <laughs> I don't think there is a code to get her back, but if you have Eris back in your party, that literally ruins every single second of the rest of Final Fantasy VII because the game, the second half of the game revolves around the fact that she's dead and every single part of the story, including the end, is hinged on that. So why would you want her back in the game? And the same is true for relationships. The same is, you know, is true for girlfriends, wives, whatever else. I've never been married, but, uh, you know, it's the same idea where it doesn't mean you can't know that person. It doesn't mean that person can't be a friend of yours or part of your life because somebody changing roles is a whole other thing. 
Because sometimes in those RPGs, you know, someone will leave your party and they never join it again, but they uh, continue to be, you can still interact with them. Uh, you can still go to some location where they are and you can interact with them. And some people are meant to be, you know, not to get into the whole NPC thing, but I do think some people in life, they feel their destiny is to be that RPG character in the village who you go into their house and it's just like a guy and his wife walking around in circles and saying the same thing over and over again. Some people, that's their destiny and they want that. They want it. You know, they want to binge watch the rest of their lives away, you know, and, and I know that sounds condescending and it kind of is, uh, but some people want that. And some people, though, have a different destiny. Some people have, have know they have a different destiny, but they don't know quite what it is. Uh, but they have to accept the fact that people rotate in and out. Some people stick around. Some people come back. In RPGs, that happens. Some people, you think they're gone, you know, they're, oh, they left my party, and they're never coming back, and, you know, uh, whatever, Game Genie won't bring them back, and then you'll find them somewhere, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to join your party again. And you're like, cool. Sometimes it's a character you don't want, you know? Sometimes that happens in RPGs where a character's stuck in your party and you don't like them, but it's like they serve some sort of role. And I, I feel like that that's a real thing as well. Some people, you know, I can't think of too many. I can't really think of any actually right now. But there have definitely been points in my life where I'm like, you know, this is kind of like a weird, uh, this friendship. I don't, I don't really get anything out of it. And I'm not really excited about this person. But circumstances in life just kind of, keep us around each other and that's cool you know that's that's a cool thing as well and uh I, I think that you know you can learn from that you can learn from that you can learn from everything um what else is there uh what else is there than talking this uh just going back to the idea of you know games that never end and extending life till you're 150 there's all this extra time, you know, oh, there's all this extra time I can spend in this game. There's all these extra years I can spend living on this earth. There's all this extra time, but less purpose. Because in games that never end, there's a there's an exact correlation, I would say, between like the longer a game goes on, or not the longer it goes on, because nowadays we have these long engrossing stories that do eventually end. But a, a game that goes on forever loses its, its purpose. And the purpose isn't for a game to end. But the fact that a game doesn't end negates a lot of the story, because the story isn't actually going anywhere. The story isn't coming to any kind of conclusion. And I would say the same is true for people who want to live till they're 150. Oh, I'd love to spend 50 extra years in a nursing home. I'd love to spend 50 extra years walking around in circles binge-watching shit. And that's not to say that you can't make those 50 years meaningful, but I think it makes it more difficult. Uh, it's why when someone hears they have six months to live, they suddenly have this added urge to check off items on their bucket list. They have this added urge to add more to their story, to experience more, to even if that experience is all internal, even if it's all in their head, there's people who find out they have only a short time to live and they experience a series of insane epiphanies that give them a whole new perspective on life. And it's not all for nothing. It's all clearly for something because this limited amount of time they have gave them a sense of purpose. And I think the same is absolutely true for a game. You don't want a video game that goes on forever, that's crowded with people. And, you know, I was talking at the beginning of this about how my sister always had, like, large groups of people coming to the house. I never liked that. Even though I had friends and everything, like, I really, if there was ever more than one or two people at my house at a given time, and this especially goes for adulthood, 
I, I felt dirty and uncomfortable. You know, not that these people were creating a mess or anything, but it's just as an adult, even when there's like more than one person, unless someone, unless I'm extremely close to somebody or like romantically involved with somebody, I don't really want anyone in my house. And I know I'm extra weird as far as that goes. And I talk about in any place I go looking for the exit. But the reason I don't like people coming over to my house is because I know where the exit is, but I can't leave. You know, I know where the exit is at my own house, but I can't leave, and I, it's it's hard to force people to leave. It's like, hey, uh, welcome to my house. Just so you know, there's the exit. You know, I'm just showing you where the exit is. And when you go to someone's house, you know, you know where the exit is at any given time. And not everybody's that way. Some people love having people in their house, and they hate that you know where the exit is. They're like, you know, I want you to stay. Oh, you, you're leaving so soon. You always leave so soon. And there's some people who are like that. You leave too soon. Uh, clearly not. <laughs> if someone, if someone has that attitude, which is very real and I've experienced it, if someone has that attitude that, you know, you're leaving their house too soon and they want you to stay, they're just solidifying in my mind the fact that I'm not leaving too soon. If you're trying to keep me here against my will, even with some sort of weird guilt trip, that tells me that I'm doing the right thing by walking out that exit. But when you have people in your house, especially more than one, it's like... You know, uh, there's the exit. Uh, you've used up your amount of time that, you know, I can deal with someone being in my space. So it was funny that my sister had all these people constantly, whereas I was constantly kind of like negating, uh, not negating. I was just constantly trying to like, you know, figure out how to get people out once they were there. <laughs> um, good friends, better enemies. You make a good visitor, but uh, a, a better... Exeter. I love the way you enter my house, but even more than that, I love the way you exit. Sometimes it's a relief. Sometimes it's a relief when someone's out of your life. Uh, but oftentimes it's a relief when someone's still in your life. Because I, I could always do more work toward that end. I could always put more work toward preserving relationships or giving people time. And not that people are knocking down my door Certainly not at this point, uh, but I'm someone who could always devote more time to fostering and maintaining relationships, and uh, there's also that reality that in some games, you know, you have to go it alone. Some games, you're a rogue, and I'm, I don't feel like a rogue, but some games, you're just, you know, you're doing it by yourself, you know, you're climbing that mountain by yourself, and that's something to think about, too, uh, when you feel lonely or if you just feel like nobody's there, nobody's there for me. Sometimes maybe that's your game. Maybe you're in a game where you have to deal with the fact that, uh, you know, you're climbing that mountain alone. You got to beat the game alone. It doesn't mean you can't help people and people can't help you. It doesn't mean you can't have friends. It doesn't mean any of that. But I think it's good to come to terms with that and at least be prepared for it. You know, not alienate people, not cut people out of your life. But uh, I think it can only serve you to be prepared to do things alone even if it's not necessary, because that's a relief. Speaking of reliefs, that's always a relief. When you're completely prepared to do something difficult by yourself, but you find that there is somebody there willing to give you a hand, and they might be somebody who you thought had already left your party, only to find out that they're going to be there at the very end, fighting the big bad boss and ending the game, because that's what we all want to do. We want to end the game, but we want to do it right. <laughs> Thank you.
This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children 